EPS, powered by Seth. Today on Radio Primavera Sound, we welcome a legend of British music and a hero of drum and bass and jungle, Crust, also known as DJ Crust, and born Kirk Thompson. How are you today? I'm fantastic. I'm pleased to hear that. Um, I wanted to start with a question that maybe seems a bit basic, um, but it's something that's been bothering me lately. Um, I'm old enough to remember when we referred to the music you made as Jungle. Um, later it became known as Drum and Bass. Some people these days seem to use the two terms almost randomly. Others people say there's a big difference between the two. Where, where do you stand on this? Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Um, you know, I'm of, of the era of Jungle music. So I think Drum and Bass became a term for two reasons. One, it became synonymous with this sort of more techie side of, of uh, music when um, the music became a little less kind of... So for me, it's very simple. The way I think about jungle music and drum and bass is, is very simple. When I think about jungle, I see, you know, a South American jungle, but 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 I see it as this kind of intertwining, interconnecting, organic system that kind of is is natural and nurturing and kind of just intertwines with everything and kind of it doesn't really have a sort of set form. It can be anything, and there's just lots of life and vibrancy there. When I think about drum and bass, I see I think about a doctor's sterile clinic with really sharp lines and it's a white room. And so when I think about jungle, for me, there is this sort of vibrancy and energy there and depth. And it really, for me, it feels like nature and it's, it's really nurturing. There's lots of nutrients there. So when I'm in the studio, that's the vibe that I'm thinking about. When I think about drum and bass, I just see this kind of dead end, where it doesn't feel like it's it's growing or there's life there. It feels like it's just it's like a just repetitive kind of uh, dying kind of uh, environment which isn't nurturing. So that's the visual that I get, and I think I think words paint a, a picture, and it's very important the language that you use to describe things because just by changing the name. That's the interpretation that I now have of the music that I helped pioneer. And so what I think happened in the media, certainly, is that for them to keep talking about a music that doesn't necessarily represent them or they don't understand where it comes from, they tried to make it more, like, more accessible for them and for people like them. And so it was easy to change the name and give it something that... Uh, more people could easily relate to and it kind of but also what they didn't realize or maybe they did realize that it slightly skewed the, the the meaning of the original idea so when do you think you consider the music you make today to be jungle i yeah i would say at its root it's definitely jungle but at the same time it, it's kind of genreless in a way right you know I'm not really about that sort of thing anymore. If I could say anything, I would say it's probably more closer to 
the mentality of hip hop. Yeah. I was going to say because um, when I before doing this interview, um, I listened to an interview you did with Resident Advisor that covered a lot of your career, um, and I don't want to go over the same ground. So I'm going to try to ask um, different things. Um, but to briefly recap for anyone that, that doesn't know, I mean, you've had an amazing career. Uh, top 10 single in 1989. Hip hop was a big influence. You set up Full Cycle Records, um, responsible for many classic uh, jungle tunes. Um, when jungle started, sort of in the late 80s, early 90s, um, obviously there was a really strong like London scene. What do you think Bristol brought to that? We have a really strong kind of party scene down here that's centered around the cozy kind of house party, the experimental sounds of the West Coast of England. It's really about parties, about having a good time. It's about experimentation, about creativity, it's about art. I mean, all the same things in London, but we're just doing it from a different point of view. Bristol is a really small city compared to, you know, a lot of the cities um, around the world. And I say that because it is a unique city. I mean, for, for, for the size of the city, we do pack a punch culturally. And we've been able to take that around the world. And I've traveled and I haven't really come across a place. I would say there's two other places I've come across that similar to Bristol. One is San Francisco and the other is um, Byron Bay in, in, in Australia. Um, but the way Bristol's set up, it's it's a small place and it's only like the, the area of the, where the, I would say the, the growth of the culture kind of emanated from is St. Paul's Montpellier. It's quite a small area. Um, it's probably a lot, lot smaller than Labrook Grove, you know? So you've got a small distance for people to kind of to operate in and it's packed jam-packed full of different people from different walks of life sharing different uh, stories sharing different music sharing different you know foods and stories and we have carnival and it's like everything's kind of packed in this one area and like there isn't sort of there isn't there isn't a, a kind of there was when I when I was hanging out there and I was living there. It was a very tight, closely knit community, and so you know people supported each other. People you know helped each other, and it was it was a totally different experience to what it is now. And I think because it was you know a place where lots of immigrants came to live cheaply, it it just bred a different type of camaraderie. And if you grew up around there and you saw the people that were around you. You know, you didn't see the divisions. You didn't see the differences. You just saw someone who lived in the same economic environment as you. And, you know, you felt obliged to, to help. And so in that, we had, we had the, the blues parties. You know, I wasn't old enough to go to those blues when they first started. Obviously, it was in the 60s. I was probably not even born then. But the where i what i inherited though was the house parties was the sort of the 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 vibe from that and when you went to these house parties they were these mixed up multicultural events where you know i started going to them when wild bunch and fbi was doing that so wild bunch became massive attack fbi were were a big crew back then um 
and too bad. And the vibe was always about experimentation, about coming together, about about um, experimenting with the music and the sounds and the attitudes. And it was it was just it just felt like you were living in this kind of bohemian lifestyle and you didn't know it at the time, but you know, it was, it was kind of just crazy and free for all. And, and I think that came out in people's music. You know, you go to a party, you go to a Wild Bunch party and any one night you would hear anything from Pet Shop Boys to Ecomals to Tears for Fears to Eric B and Rakim, Soul Sonic. And it was just this whole collection of, eclectic music that when I started to go into the studio, I was trying to recreate the, those events that I went to. I was trying to remember what it was like to be in those parties, looking at the decks, you know, watching someone spray paint on the walls, watching someone do some break dance. And then it was this, it was this energy that a lot of that came from New York. A lot of that came from, you know, the hip hop scene over there watching Wildstar, being influenced by American culture, but but experimenting to a degree that it expressed who we were as, you know, uh, British, you know, ethnic minorities. Like, how are we going to express ourselves? You know, how, you know, how are we going to use this technology to tell our story? So I think Bristol has been really good at that, you know, because we've had, we've had, we've had, you know, we've had to live in these tight environments with the people around us. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really good at t turning, you know, you know, nothing into something, which is like, you know, a, a really resourceful skill in these environments. That, I, I was gonna say that's something that's always struck me um, as about, uh, about Bristol, obviously from an outsider's perspective, is it seems like a place where people are very good at doing things. You know, that people, don't just dream about becoming musicians. They actually go and do it, and they bring out records. Is that is that fair enough? Yeah, and it, that's spot on. And I think one of the reasons why is because the 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 economic advantages of living in a place where everything that happens is in like maybe five square miles. It's not like London, where I mean, I lived in London for like ten years, right? And I lived in West. To go and see my friends, I had to get on a train and travel for an hour, right? And then if I wanted to go and get some food, good food, you get on another train and travel. Like, everybody knows a really great restaurant, but you have to travel to it. You know, I'm, I've had a studio, I had a studio in Stokes Croft for six years while I made the album. When I wanted to see someone, I'd walk out the road and they'd probably, I'd probably bump into them. When I wanted to eat some food, I just walked down the road a bit more and there was restaurants and everything. So everything is so convenient, so local. When we, when I was coming up, it was cheap to live there. Do you know what I'm saying? It was cheap. It, rent was cheap. You could live good on the dole in Bristol. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that was the rumour back in the day. It's like, you want to be on the dole, go and live in Bristol. You could be a starving musician in Bristol and live like a king because it's cheap to live there. You know, we lived off of jacket potatoes and cheese and beans for years, you know, while we were buying records and bags of weed and, and making beats. It's like, you know, the, the economics is affordable here. And so you have that sort of uh, thing. You, you, can, you you're in an environment where other people are doing it. You're in the environment where people are, are starving artists, but they're doing it every single day. 
you know, so you can you can be a starving artist and you can see other starving artists making it. So it, it gives you this belief and the knowledge to know that it's possible. And so you don't have to go and get a job, right? You don't have to go and spend eight hours a day stacking shelves or doing some job that you hate to do and then come home tired and put two or three hours into the studio. It's like, uh, me and my friends, we didn't do that. Like we spent all day, every day in the studio as a group and as a unit, sharing the resources that we had, making beats, and you know, and the next natural thing occurred. And so, yeah, it, it, I think Bristol, because of the the the, the pro close proximity of everything, it makes it seem possible that you can achieve it. And people who see that, they make it happen. And I think that's one of the reputations of the city, because of because of like the way that people have been able to make it to make their dreams come true or make it a reality, is very attractive. I was really interested, when we were talking earlier about um, jungle and drum and bass, you talked about the, uh, I can't remember the exact terms, but how jungle was kind of very adaptable and could work with lots of things. Obviously, in, in your work, um, you've innovated a lot, you know, using jazz, um, bringing in like spoken word, bringing in lo lots of different things. What, what is it about jungle that allows it to work with other styles of music is <clears throat> it's just got a template that can that can work i think when it when it first in the first round of it phase one when it first emerged there were so many different people from different backgrounds so my background was hip-hop ronnie's background was reggae Dai's background was folk electronica music um, sorry, acoustic music and, and rock. Sub's background was hip hop and reggae. You know, um, when we met the the the, the Oxford boys, uh, Smithy and and Gwange, they were had their influences, house maybe techno, and then you know you could go through look look optical and um, and Ed Rush, listen to their sound, which is very sort of techno-y. And then you had the Dillinger sound system, which was very ragger orientated as well. But you like, it was a platform that you could come from whatever your background was and you could apply that to the frequency, to 160 or 165 as it was at the time. And you figured out a way to make it work. And that was the beauty of, of, the, of, of, of jungle as a, as a sound. It just was versatile. It could, it could accommodate whatever you wanted to put on it, you know? And so I think as well, what the idea of what people had back then was not as, as solid and cemented as, and, and rigid as it is today. And back then, whatever you, wherever you, whatever scene you came from, that's what you wanted to try and express. So for me, I was into hip hop. And so I was trying to make hip hop back in the day. That was, you know, I was trying to be a hip hop producer, but it just didn't sound like what everybody was considering was hip hop. And so for me, the attraction in making um, Jungle was that it just had this different type of energy. It was like modular in the sense that I could, I could, I could do jazz one minute, I could do hip hop one minute, I could do techno or electronic or classic and it all worked. It all just fitted together. And it was like, you know, there wasn't like, oh, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. It's like, this is what this music is. And because we were all coming up and we were all putting our different influences to it, each camp had its own sound and we prided ourselves on our own sound. 
and you could tell the different label by the sampler they used, the computer they used, the vibe that the label was sort of about. And that, that was the blueprint. And it was like, the only rule in Jungle was like, there wasn't a rule. You just represented your people and your sound. I mean, serious question. Have you ever tried to combine a type of music with Jungle that just didn't work? No. I mean, do, do you think almost anything would, would work? It does. <laughs> Look at all the different categories we've got now. Neurofunk, you know, liquid, yeah. dark tech, drum tech. It's all 175. I wanted to ask, actually, um, I seem to remember you saying in the Resident Advisor interview that mistakes are an important part of your, of your work when you're, production, when you're producing. Can you give us any, any examples of that? Um, making Warhead, the big sub bass in the beginning. So I'm in the studio, and I've just got a little studio at the time in my house. Um, and so I'm going into the desk, and I'm pulling out wires to try and um, put some new effect in. And I touch the, the live lead, and it went... <laughs> And I was like, whoa, what's that? And I took my finger off and I held it down again. It went, and I was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. So I sampled it. And that became the intro bass sound of Warhead. And so totally by accident that happened. And now that became one of the biggest mysteries for about 10 years. I never told anybody how I made that bass sound. And... I used to get email, oh, not emails, but loads of people come up to me asking me, telling me how they could do it. And did I use this sampler? Did I use this? And then later on, it was like plugins. Did you use this plugin, that, and that plugin? And, and then I used to do talks and workshops, and I would talk to people about creativity. And then eventually, I told people the story of how I made that, I, like I just told you. And the whole room would be like stunned because they spent years trying to use these you know, samplers and synthesizers and pedals to get the equally unequal bass sound similar. And when I told them, I know it's just me holding the lead. <laughs> They'd be like, oh. I and so, you know, you know, it's like amazing like, the, the, what you can actually do. And so, you know, even before that, we would, uh, we would when you set, we'd set up a studio, we, you know, it was, it's not like today, everything's in the box. And so, you have to work in a different way to create those same type of environment for, you know, creativity. But back in the day, when you wired up a studio, sometimes you wire the leads wrong. Sometimes you press a button and a weird sound would come out. It's like, we would sample that. You know, we wouldn't try and fix it. We were like, let's just work with that. Um, sometimes you plug in uh, a lead and the desk would just be completely in the red, and, but the sound coming out of it would be great we'd sample it. Sometimes, you know, you would, um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that, that um, Ronnie made was, was um, in, in one of his tunes where the MIDI track, so MIDI would be, you know, the, the you'd be playing, you would be, a, would be what you would use in a sequencer to record a bass line, right? Sometimes the MIDI number would change. And so one MIDI channel one would be bass, MIDI channel two would be drums and so on, strings and effects. Sometimes the MIDI channel two would play one. So a drum pattern would now be playing a bass pattern. 
So that happened with Ronnie, and that, that bass became one of his biggest tunes. Can I ask which one? Um, I'll remember in a minute. <laughs> out, out, out of breath. Cool. You, you mentioned Warhead, which, was, uh, which is to this day an absolute classic of, of, of Jungle. Um, to me, it also seemed to mark the start of, of Jungle's obsession with, with heaviness, with really, really heavy bass lines. Um, which, again, for me, I, almost seemed to like take over from everything at some point. Um, and people concentrate more on the bass line than the drums. How did you, I mean, did you see that connection with Warhead? How did you feel about, about Jungle just basically getting heavier and heavier and more into the bass lines? Well, we're, we're, you know, since I've been studying business and doing lots of mentoring and understanding how, you know, different cultures, businesses or um, uh, different business models work, it's like, it's like <clears throat> I understand music in a totally different way. It's like all businesses evolve, right? All products evolve to become simpler and better and more efficient. And so if you look at Jungle in the beginning, we started making jungle and we didn't have a clue what we were doing, right? We were just, we understood enough to chop up breaks, speed them up, put a crazy bass line on top. You know, back then we didn't know really about separate subs and tones and kick drums and snares. And we just knew we were just mashing things together and it worked. So two or three years of that, you start to think, okay, there's got to be a better way to get this result, right? So you start experimenting. So some couple of things that we started to do was, like, so Warred, really, was a simplification of my style. And if you look at the work I was doing, you look at Jazz Note, that was, it sounded like a jazz tune because, you know, I was listening to lots of records where I was sampling, and that was the drum style that I was hearing. So I'm just putting breaks together and creating the same type of intensity and energy. But after doing that 10 or 15 times, you just think, okay, well, what else can I do with these drums? And so what's the next thing? So intuitively, you're moving on to the next thing. So for us, it was simplification. Simplifying the beats became the next thing for us because we started to see a couple of things. And so what most people don't realize is that the jungle, the, like what me and lots of my peers did is that we were the first producers and DJs. Before that, you just had a DJ, right, who would play other people's records, or you had a producer who would produce records but not go out and play them. And why I say that is because what we realized by being DJ and producer is that when you were out actually playing, it became paramount that you could mix really quickly and effectively. And what we soon realized, records that started up with just strings or ambiguous sounds or, or with, um, without a significant metronome type of device at the beginning of the tune would be a problem mixing really quickly. And so the reason why you wanted to mix really quickly is because what we soon realized by DJing over the years is that you have to keep the audience moving, right? And any dip in the audience's, you know, uh, you know in your set, if you, if you 
didn't, if you had a drop in your set when you didn't want to, you would lose the audience. And so if you're only playing for an hour, your job is to smash it for that hour, right? And jungle music was designed to smash the party. But if you missed a drop, if you came in late, if you didn't get the timing right, your set could almost be ruined. If you had two of those in a set, it's pretty much game and set match, you're done, right? You can't, it's very difficult to win the audience back. So we've, we were experienced in this. So we start thinking differently about how we're making music. So the, 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 the making, making a tune with lots of bass lines solves lots of problems, right? Because instead of having loads and loads of bass sounds, which become difficult to mix, difficult to manage, difficult to mix another record on to because one, as one record finishes, the other one begins and you have to understand how these two records now mix together. Do they work well together? Are they noisy? Are they out of key? Is it, is it a good kind of disharmony or is it the breaks clashing? So all this stuff now becomes really, really paramount because we're performing in front of a crowd of people that you, that you want to keep them engaged in what you're doing. So we have to start making some executive decisions, right? So in Full Cycle, this is what we decided to do. We were like, all, all of our tunes need to start with a definite one and they're either going to start with a breakbeat or they start with a hi-hat or they start with some sort of rhythm that's easy and quick to mix into the back end of the tunes. So the back ends of the tunes we stripped them all out of, of, of noise, of anything that would distract you from the mix. So we'd have a certain mix point in the beginning. So that's where you have those long drum intros and you'd have a certain mix point at the end of the track so that the tracks could mix into each other. So all of us, we all agreed that that's how we were gonna make our tunes. And so what we had was like this unified sort of um, template that worked very simple. So all of our drums, all of our tunes just had this sort of basic understanding that they would work with each other. And so what that did, it just makes it simple for the DJ to perform at the highest level without compromising your artistic integrity in the studio. So once you've got that template, it's anything goes in there. So of course, as long as you have, as long as there's no crazy bass sounds between one and one and a half minutes, you can do what you want after that because no one's really mixing past the drop. And if they do, the track that you're mixing past the drop, there's, no, there's nothing to conflict with that. And so it becomes a really simple way to understand how to get the best out of your performance as a DJ and how to understand how to make music as a producer. See, I find that fascinating because your brilliant new album, The Edge of Everything, is anything but that it's anything but something that's easy to play well in, in my opinion it's anything but something that's easy for a dj to play it does very unexpected things um i mean how do you think the album fits into the musical world today it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't it's not supposed to so my philosophy is similar to warren buffett his his philosophy is when everyone buys you sell when everyone sells you buy my philosophy is in a studio just do the opposite of what everyone else does. So in, in making this album, I studied film. So I, I studied um, Christopher Nolan, Spike Lee, um, uh, Mike, uh, Scorsese, 
I looked at those people for inspiration for this album. So I didn't look at, I didn't listen to lots of music. I didn't think about um, what I was doing, whether it was going to work on a dance floor. I simply approached it like I was making a film. So I looked at scripts, I looked at actors, I looked at protagonists, and I created a story that I could tell through my, my character. And I looked, which is, you know, the sampler, the computer, and then I looked at the protagonist, what was he doing, why would he do it? And so I built the music as if I was writing, you know, all these scenes for a, for a movie, and I approached it like that. And then that gave me the freedom to just be super creative rather than try and make an album that was danceful friendly. I mean, I've done that. I've done that to death. I've made tunes that are still revered today and I'm grateful for that. But for me, there was nothing more for me to learn in that sense. I didn't want to spend two years making tunes that I know how to do. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be... I wanted to be in a situation where I could potentially fail. I wanted to be in a situation where I needed to learn and upgrade and be pushed and, and not think that this is just 10, wish, uh, 10 um, soul emotions or 10 warheads or 10 cloaking devices. Like That's not my style. It's not how I think. And you know that comes back to the B-boy in me because the B-boy says, you've got to be fresh and original all the time or, or don't go to school. So for me, it was like, how am I going to outdo myself? How am I going to push myself past where I'm comfortable? How am I going to make music that stands the test of time? How am I going to, you know, how am I going to crack the universe? How am I going to break the game? How am I going to, you know, break all the rules and create some new ones? And so that's my line of thinking going into this pro project. I'm really... You know, and so why why I made the reference earlier to business models because it's the same sort of mentality. You know, what business do you know that could survive by copying itself endlessly? You know, how would how would the the customers find value in that? You know, so I liken what I do to a movie because if you see a movie and it sound it looks like someone else's movie, it gets slated, it gets panned. When you see a movie and it does the same thing as every other movie, here's the star, here's his love interest, here's the car explosion, here's the gun shootout, here's the bank scene. You've seen 10 films like that, you're bored. And so I'm very aware of where music is right now, I'm very aware of what, how culture is right now. And it's like, I'm looking at who are the best people to take you on an experience, right? Not just musically, is it Disneyland? Are they good at taking you on experience? Is it, you know, playing with Apple devices? Is that a great experience? Is it going ice skating? Is it watching Netflix? It's like, what's going to hold your attention for an hour and 20 minutes, right? So I'm looking at who the best people are to do that. When you watch a film, it's pretty hard to be on your phone or to do other things. And so for me, I love the way that directors um, tell stories. I love the way in a film, a really good film, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know if the star is going to be su surviving, whether it's going to be a part two. And that type of energy and creativity for me is very fascinating. And, and I think, yeah, I like that type of um, surprise uh, element, that curiosity, that wonder, you know, the fact that you can come out of a cinema and still be talking about 
you know, the differences, opinions that you have for weeks, uh, you could still be talking about why the director did that. Um, why did that, why that line? Look at that classic line. Listen, I'm doing something right now and you're asking me to uh, talk about my favorite sci-fi films. And I came to Terminator 2 and I watched it again. I was like, in, I was like watching this film and then the classic line came up, I'll be back. And I was like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like 20, 20 year old film still has that same excitement and passion and curiosity. It's a film. I'm thinking like, I want that with my products. I want people to be listening to my music in 10, 10 20 years time and have that same type of energy, same type of fun, type of curiosity, wonder, and ask those questions like, you know, why did he do that? What's going on with that? What does it mean? It's like, you know, it's an endless experience that, you know, you, you can get lost in. I've got about a thousand questions I could ask, but unfortunately um, my time in the studio is, is, is running out. Um, which is a real pain. There's so many things, but I, I want to ask you just one one more thing, um, if I can. Um, you've talked about the influence of hip hop many times. I think it's probably fair to say that hip hop changed your life. Do you think Jungle ended up as basically the UK's hip hop? Yeah. And has yeah, it has pretty. it changed lives in the same way? Oh, for sure. You know, when when you think about what it's done. In, and how it's gone around the world is created a billion pound industry. Apparently, that's the, by the last count. Jungle is a billion pound industry now. So you got to think about all the business, all the you know the people that's involved in it, um, and the influence and the impact that it's had around the world. You know, it's changed other other types of music. It's changed other cultures. It's, you know, the ideology behind the original meaning is very very powerful, and the way that. Lots of people were elevated out of their circumstances and, you know, were able to become ambassadors and go around the world playing and spreading this music. And now this music is being made all over the world, you know, very similar to hip hop, you know, very, you know, it has the same sort of DNA and background, you know, and if you do it right, it can, you know, provide you with, you know, economic substance, uh, um, an economic lifestyle, it can help you elevate yourself. And there's something around it, for me at least anyway, where it helped me relearn lots of things, you know. I've used it in a way where I've been able to educate myself and take myself to places that I'd never ever would have maybe done if I hadn't been involved in music. And I think the curious nature of the tempo as well fascinates people because in the beginning, you know, one of the criticisms we had about music, it was too fast, it's too fast. And now it's like, it's normal, it's, it's normalized in culture. We see it on TV, we see it in kids programs. You know, I was watching watching something with my son the other day and I just heard this jungle beat coming on one of his programs. I just laughed. Was, was it like, Teen Titans? That's the influence. Teen yes. Titans go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, my kids listen to that. And I'm like, I have heard yeah. that. <laughs> I think Powerpuff so Girls like, as well also had that. Really? Yeah. Right. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's like so. The influence is, is worldwide, and it's, it's you know, and we're still quite a young scene. We're still finding our feet. We're finding you know where it can actually go, what it can actually do, you know. And you have big parties like in um, in. Uh, in Belgium, I think it is, you have Rampage, which is like a ridiculous size festival, which is all jungle drum and bass. It's ridiculous. You know, it feels like 
playing, you know, mats and square gardens or something. But it's like, you know, it's endless. You know, like I said, we could probably talk for another two hours on the whole thing. But yeah, the, uh, the influence is huge. It's been life changing for me and for lots of people around me as well. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank, congratulations so much on the album. And um, I can't wait to hear everything else you come up with.